I often ask the team to paint a portrait of the family and the client. So if I, just looking at a picture here in my home, if I see that there are the landscapes missing or the individuals or the activity that they're doing is missing, then I haven't listened enough. Today on Bridging the Gap, I had an inspiring conversation with a leader in the industry, Kanita Bullock. Kanita is the CEO of Master Plan Investment Group, a retirement plan advisor, and a former classmate of mine or recipient of mine in the 40 Under 40 Investment News class a few years ago. We dive right into Kanita's journey of building her firm, the ups and downs of serving clients that we all have experienced and Kanita has a great perspective on. And we also talk about the importance of education to the younger generation of advisors growing within our industry. Kanita and I also dig into women within our industry, some of the struggles they have faced and the inspiring work Kanita is doing to push for women to be leaders they know they can be within our industry. This was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with Kanita. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode of Bridging the Gap with Kanita Bullock. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Kanita Bullock, welcome to Bridging the Gap. How are you doing? How's everything going on in your world? Things are going well, uh, other than my five-year-old having the flu, which I think we all kind of get a whiff of every uh, so often, but things are great. Things are going well. Uh, that's good. The flu, the flu <laughs> is just going around. It's all around, everywhere. It seems like everybody I talk to, you know, every other person. So like I said, hopefully she gets you know better quicker uh, as quickly as possible. I'm really lucky and fortunate to have you on this podcast and have this conversation. And I'm, I'm happy for our listeners to be able to, to learn from you. You know, you and I connected in the, uh, investment news, top 40 under 40, and, you know, we've connected and talked and you're running an amazing firm. So I'm really stoked to learn from what you've learned, you know, building a firm, serving clients, what your views are in the you know the younger generation in the 401k world and and also I really want to dive into a topic that, that I think needs to be talked about even more is women within our industry right and the challenges and what we need to do to to continue to grow that diversity so we're going to touch on all that which I'm really stoked okay. about for both for myself selfishly and also our listeners uh, selflessly but before we get there I need to ask you what did the 13-year-old Kanita Bullock want to do? I mean, I'm, I maybe it was that you wanted to run your own firm and serve clients. Maybe it was that. But what did the 13-year-old Kanita Bullock really want to do? Great question. Um, one that I was uh, not expecting. So I know the answer. When I was 13, and it kind of gets to your point about exposure to the industry for women and, and people of color, I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a lawyer. Because I saw other successful, driven, brilliant women and black women as attorneys. I did not see a CFP or an investment manager in my community. So I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew I was great at speaking, writing, and engaging with people. And that was on the top of my list. I love that. So let's, I'm gonna come back to that. I wanna come back to women. Black women, all of that. I want to come back to that because I, I I think that that's just a topic we need to dig into and we need to you know continue to expose and, and help to, to solve for, especially in our industry more than than anything I think in my mind is is that diversity. But 
I want to, before we get there, I want to now kind of build this timeline. So 13-year-old Kenita Bullock wants to be a, a lawyer, wants mm-hmm. to get exposure, wants to go talk, wants to serve the people and get, you know, be seen. But now, you know, I'm not going to say your age because I don't know it and I never would do that. But now the, you know, the 21-year-old Kenita Bullock is, uh, is running her own wealth management firm. What happened between those years to change your trajectory of what you wanted to do at 13 to what you are doing today? It really started with exposure. So as a 13-year-old, my parents had me active and engaged in literally everything. There was not a free moment. They were wanting to make sure I felt comfortable in knowing what they might not have been exposed to, uh, but knew that it was an option for me. So I had evening events with the community or athletics and sports, but I also was exposed to the debate team and went around the state and country um, going to debate uh, meet. So I think the, the piece that was really critical in that time warp from 13 to 21 <laughs> was the exposure. And a big shift took place while uh, I was at Smith. So I attended Smith College, wonderful institution, all women's college in Northampton, Massachusetts. And at Smith, I immediately was engaged and active in the student government, thought that it was a wonderful time to explore a part of myself that I had not in college, which was student government activity and leadership. I was not in leadership in high school in that capacity, but I was a student president my first year. So again, having the opportunity to look at the ability to serve others, the ability to advance causes that may have been overlooked or just not considered was really important to me. Uh, So my first year, Smith College, really changed the trajectory of my opportunities career-wise and just exposure to what was out there and what opportunities were available. I'm, I'm curious, you know, looking back to that, op- that first year at, at Smith College, and you have that opportunity to, to lead, right, mm-hmm. and serve others and take this role on that, that you hadn't necessarily done in the past. What did you learn from that, that you still kind of, that you still utilize uh, as lessons as you lead an organization that's serving families and helping them do, I think, the, 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 the greatest good that's possible of helping them reach their financial goals and their, their future life that they desire. What did you take away from that experience at Smith that you are still using to this day? So uh, when you asked that question, immediately I thought about the stakeholders represented. So as a multi-generational wealth management firm, We have the grandparents, the parents, the grandchildren, those that are not yet born, but the entire legacy, professional partners, estate planners, accountants. So we're really navigating, and many of us call ourselves the quarterback, we're navigating a lot of conversations, but we have to keep everyone focused. What's the goal? How do we make sure we're all running in the right direction at the right pace and using the skills that we all have that might be unique, but they're helping the family? And as the student government president, I had the administration, the faculty, the students, the parents. So all of those stakeholders had common goals, not always the same, but those voices were all going in one direction. And I found that my role was to really interpret and make sure that we were able to clarify how we could all work together and achieve the priority number one 
not to overlook the others, but make sure we were moving in the right pace so that we can get the most accomplished. Such a difficult task, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you lay out this visual that's so important, I think, for us to touch on uh, a little bit even further here is, you know, as a wealth manager, as, a, as an advisor, is that it's a matter of navigating. So many people just look at it as one-to-one, right? My client mm-hmm. and me, but it's navigating the entire family and also the entire team of professionals that these families work with. And the, the challenge that is presented is this challenge of, yes, everybody wants the best for the family. Everybody wants the best for the patriarch or the matriarch that's in the family. But everybody has their own interests. They have their own desired outcomes. And in managing those, right, of what they want versus what's best and 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 then having to sell, in theory, others on this vision that may not be the vision that they want is really difficult. And I think that that's like a major challenge that we all take for granted inside this industry that is also way overlooked. How do you find yourself navigating that, right? Like, I mean, you talk about your time as the president, uh, you know, the student body president, like having to navigate the administration and the employees and the everything of that nature. What skill sets are necessary to help you ensure that you push forward despite these, you know, multiple desires that are all unique and different? So in our practice, we really rely on asking great questions and listening. <laughs> I, I do believe that when we sit down with an understanding of the perspective that many of the stakeholders have, so what are the goals of the attorney or the state plan? What are the goals of the current generation I'm sitting in front of? What are the goals of the other generations that um, may not be represented here in this meeting, but are very important and valid? But what we do is listen first, ask questions, and really spend time almost, if you think of it as creating a map, a map of what do you want to to have done today? And then what do we need to keep into perspective? Mm. Um, So uh, often I hear people say we have two ears for a reason. (laughs) So if I find that I'm talking more in a meeting than I'm listening, then the meeting needs to be flipped and transitioned. So asking questions about your goals and understanding what might shift those goals and making sure that we don't just drive the conversation in the traditional manner that we've heard it in the past, being willing to take risks and ask questions that may seem out of place, but we know will really get to the root of the need for the family. You mentioned something there, listening, right? Such an important, I mean, (laughs) it's such a simple concept, right? We all know we need to be better listeners. Like I tell my son that, like, just listen, what did I say? Like, do you hear me? (laughs) I don't know how many times I say that on a, on a nightly basis or on the weekend, but you know, listening is so important and, and, and people just want to be heard. Everybody wants to think about the asset allocation and the investment mix and the financial plan. People just want to be heard. And I, I, I wonder, because as you build this firm, as you bring new people in, in terms of employees and young people, I think that young people have this desire to talk to prove themselves and to prove their worth. I think that that's the biggest challenge with with younger employees these days is that they they don't have yet that confidence and that wherewithal maturity in the industry, maturity as a person, but not maturity in the industry. And so they try to over talk. How do you help to train your team on being better listeners 
and helping them see that by being a better listener, you're actually being of more value than of you talking and trying to convince yourself of your skills that you have to this client. So what what have you been able to see that's effective and maybe something that hasn't been effective as you've gone through the process of helping your team understand this concept that is ingrained in us from the age of one, mm-hmm. uh, but yet is still so difficult at the age of whatever we get to. Right. I often ask the team to paint a portrait of the family and the client. So if I, just looking at a picture here in my home, if I see that there are the landscapes missing or the individuals or the activity that they're doing is missing, then I haven't listened enough, right? If I can just say, these are the key players, this is their goal, this is the risk, I've missed out on a good portion of the picture. So we have exercises to talk through family situations and dynamics and goals and what are the questions that other professionals will ask us about the family. And if we're unable to answer some of those, we know we need to listen a bit better and ask another set of questions. Mm. So I often think of it as if we're painting a very clear portrait, a client may come in and sit and say, I have this watercolor vision. I need it to be a portrait. Can we help them have the clarity? And we can only do that by asking questions and listening to build in more of that focus and vision. Uh, I love that. As you're talking, like I, I, I visualize like uh, a new client intake form, right? <laughs> and a new client intake form that's like a, it's like this like picture, and you have to like fill in and draw pictures based on what you hear, and you should be able to show this to the client and say like, this is you, this is your world. This is what you like. This is where you went to school. This is where you, and I'm not even a good drawer and I'm drawing like, you know, (laughs) all these little images, but you should have that, right? Like think creatively. I I think that's incredible. I want to transition gears because we're talking about, you know, your firm and training individuals and listening, et cetera. And I, I want to dive into just a little bit deeper on that side is the balance that it takes to start a firm. You know, we've got a lot of listeners that, starting their own practices, they may be one, two, three people, but it's it's difficult. And then you grow to, you know, nine, 12, you know, you know gosh, when I, when I was with my firm, you know, I was, I think, number eight or nine when I came in and now we're at about 70 and it's just like a whole different firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're dealing with different challenges, but there's different opportunities as well. How, mm-hmm. what is the challenge that you've experienced and how do you balance running the firm and serving clients because you're wearing all hats right now. How do you go about balancing that at the stage of you are with your firm today? Uh, it really comes down to the team, Matt. So I have I can ask you a ton of questions about this too. But you go through these cycles where your firm needs different things, right? If you think of the stage you mentioned your son, certain ages we need different things and certain stages of one's business maturity, you'll need different things. So you may have a team member that's able to grow and expand as that business changes, and that is fantastic. But most often, that might be a challenge to find. So in that respect, you have to be very focused on what is the need right now and how do we best serve our clients? And if the fit is not correct, is uh, do you have the right people in the seed? Uh, are they, do they have the capacity to do the work that you need them to do? Do they want to, desire to do the work? I read a book called Traction, which we follow in our practice in EOS, but it's really critical. Um, If the team is off, we have to quickly identify what's the issue and and solve it. You you can't just sweep it under the rug, as they say, because it becomes a a significant uh, challenge and it impacts and the clients feel it, whether they tell you or not. 
So I definitely would start on um, the team. Outside of that, it definitely is mentorship. And if you are in the business and don't connect with other advisors or whomever um, you see as your colleague outside of your firm, you're missing out on great opportunities to learn. And being able to share ideas, whether they fit exactly in your model or not, is a relief and a benefit because as your business grows into places you may not have planned in the um, interim or at the beginning, you have a colleague, hey, we spoke years ago, I know, but I have this question, something you mentioned really stuck with me. Can we grab coffee or or lunch and talk more about it or a Zoom call? (laughs) But the point is the team and and also making sure you have a, a mentor that may have a vision or executing a vision that you see yourself in in a few years and definitely the colleagues and other individuals that are on the journey along with you to reach mm-hmm. out to. Yeah, I think that that's really great. And I mean, you talk about traction and EOS. We've been following that in our firms. I think it's one of the main drivers of why we have been able to grow like we have. And you talk about team and that gets into like having that people analyzer and the yes. GWC, get it wanted capacity, exactly. right? And I think that having that framework really helps understand your growth trajectory. And, and the beauty of traction is you can utilize it, whether you're a large firm or a small firm, right? It, you, you you can build in these. We now have team L10s where we used to have only one L10, right? And right. The question I, I do have, and you mentioned something really interesting. You go through cycles and at, at different stages, you need different things is what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's so spot on, right? It, you know, A firm is like a human. It's a growing being. What signals or what have been some of those signals that you've seen or identified that shows you're changing firm, you're changing stages? There's all, and sometimes you don't know until you look back, right? You don't know when you're in it that you're actually changing. But, you know, taking today and looking back at you, because you all have had tremendous growth, you all are making an amazing impact. But looking back, what are some of those signals that you can now point to to say, wow, that was the the impetus of that next stage where we needed new things and different things and different people or different people in different seats, et cetera. What was that for y'all? Sure. And, and going back to EOS and traction, it's the ceiling and you feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel when you're hitting a ceiling, what is going on? Things feel a little off, whether it's capacity or a process, but you are doing the right things, but the outcome isn't Uh, exactly as you um, feel it should be. And I think we can definitely look at various stages of our growth and even just development of what type of firm do we want to be, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at that, you can see that there was just some discomfort. And if you, uh, clearly we have young kids, thinking of a tooth (laughs) breaking into one's gum, it it feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. But when it's, uh, when you're out of that stage, boy, it's just another level of growth fulfillment, passion, that you're rejuvenated in ways that you didn't feel, you know, during that transition time. But uh, you definitely can look back and see it was an uncomfortable stage that forced you to look around, step back, have some more perspective and figure out what needs to be done to, to really move through that stage. I love that. I love that. I want to transition um, for a second to kind of the diversity in our industry. I, mm-hmm. I want to talk through this. And, you know, the success of women in our industry is getting exposed more, which it should be, mm-hmm. but it's not getting exposed enough, which I think is a disservice. And and just from being a woman is one thing, but then a, a woman of color is another thing is, is what struggles or talk about the journey that you've gone on to, to build this amazing firm that has, like I said, has a great impact, 
and doing it as a leader, as a woman leader that's really well respected in our industry, I I can't relate. And I want to know how we can get more exposure. So I love to learn about that that journey and some of those struggles that you faced along that way. Sure. Uh, when I think about that transition from 13, wanting to be a lawyer, um, to now being a owner of a investment management and 401k management firm, it really was someone, and Janet McKinley, I always say, uh, one of my first mentors at Smith, said, anyone interested in an internship, learning about finance, paid internship, I raised my hand, and that was the initial moment that I was exposed fully to the industry, and that was at Capital Group. So it's not a small firm by any stretch, and one of the leading uh, firms in the nation But that internship really allowed me to see a lot more about not just investment management and research, but what other industries or what other skills that I had that would contribute significantly to the financial services industry. So being able to, number one, identify someone that may not have seen themselves in this industry is the key and being willing to be flexible. And often we say, I went to this school and I had this major and I'm now a part of these clubs or organizations and that will be my pool of talent automatically excludes a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. being able to look at other organizations, other um, industries that have been often overlooked for financial services and and wealth management and and investment management um, talent is is the first step. And for me, after that internship, it opened my eyes to a new world. I had a Fulbright in South Korea. And at that point, I looked at investments and how does a a growing or emerging market economy differ from a developed country? So you may not have that vision when when I went to South Korea if I had not been interested at at that time uh, or had that internship, I should say. So being able to have that exposure and then the drive to learn more. And, um, you know, from there, you know, the rest is history. But the challenge, I'd say, in answering your um, specific question has really been making sure that clients understand that our commonality. So I'm interested in doing the best work for them. I'm interested in making sure that their family is taken care of is really the goal. And we can be of different backgrounds, woman or man. Um, It's who you're working with and the integrity and the experience that you're really looking to connect with. And it's not the superficial, just what you see. So just because I'm a Black woman doesn't mean another Black woman is the best client for me. Mm. Um, It really, we have to challenge those thoughts. And I'm proud to say we have a very diverse client base, our 401k clients, as well as our individual wealth management clients. And I'm in, it's intentional. (laughs) It's it's work. uh, So it's intentional. And um, I have to, constantly remember remember to remind others and, and all of our partners. There's two things I want to touch on on this because you know the one commonality is the goal, right? Like we we no matter white, black, male, female, like it's the, the goal is to get you, you know, and reach your goals and mm-hmm. and we want to listen and we want to help you and and it ultimately comes back to are you able to connect with me as a human? Right. everything else aside like can you connect with me as a human but the other thing that you mentioned was this this you know that, that last point that you made was like was this box that everybody puts people into yes. right it's like and it's, and it's silly like what do we i want to know what we need to do to get out of that because it's like oh 
well, you're a white female, so you must just like to work with female clients or you're a black female. You only want to work with black female. Like that's not right. Like, I mean, we all have diverse friend sets and, um, uh, and I think that, I think that we're getting further away from that, but I, I still think that that's a reality. And you mentioned it and I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about that, but that is still a thought in people's minds. So what do we need to do? Let's let's talk about two questions here that we can wrap in. What do we need to do to get more women involved in our industry? Mm-hmm. One. And then secondly, what do we need to do to unpack that box of people thinking that it's like, hey, women run firm, they only work with women, you know, whatever it may be. Because I, I haven't yet heard someone say a male run firm only works with males. I have yet to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. That one doesn't come up. I've never heard that yet before. Right. Um, and, and so what is, from your perspective, which is a very unique perspective, which we need to hear, do we need to do to, to do those things? Uh, so when I uh, think of the, the, the last question about um, specifically women of color, people of color, black, brown, I know that it starts with the exposure of seeing others in the industry. If you think about it, I I think of a few great friends of mine that are uh, advisors. My father was an accountant. He had a great friend that was the wealth manager. I interned for him in high school. So if that isn't a, a part of the conversation in these other communities, there will be fewer <laughs> CFPs that are Black women or, or, other, um, or have other backgrounds. However, if we do challenge ourselves to support those organizations, and it doesn't mean that we have to always be in conflict with one another or com- compete, excuse me, against one another, but how do we all work together? Um, or I always speak, for example, at college fairs, or I'm invited to speak at different high schools to, to women and, and uh, black and, and brown people about, you fit in the industry. We need you. Uh, Don't let anyone say that you're not smart enough or you don't fit in and don't feel like you have to change yourself. Uh, So for a long time, I wouldn't wear braids. I have my hair braided. I I would have straightened hair and it would look very traditional. But that was because I felt that that's what I had to look like to be successful. Mm. And there there was a journey (laughs) in many ways um, for me to feel comfortable in my own skin. But the reason I do have braids and the reason I do wear heels and color when I go to um, some of these info sessions or career days is to show that you can be someone that loves pink pumps and be brilliant <laughs> and be a Fulbright scholar and run your own business. But I think it, we say gray, black, and brown are the colors to wear and pantsuits it is, we're automatically excluding a lot of people that that just just does not express who they are. And, you know, it starts there. <laughs> we, we need more people. We need more use in this world <laughs> to help us uh, continue that. That, that journey is, a, um, is definitely one worthy of, of all of us to focus on, I think. Um, you know, the, the last question I want to take before we, we wrap up, I want to switch gears for a second, is you talk about how you go speak at, at, at the colleges and, and the, these are job fairs and you're, you're interacting with young individuals and y'all have a 401k business on your yeah. side. Mm-hmm. You know, what is, do you see, and I know that you're speaking to them in, in some different ways of what they can do in their careers, but I, I want to transition this a little bit to merge what your business is with, you know, the job fairs is 
What do you see as the biggest challenge with the generation, the younger generation and in retirement savings, right? We still haven't yet gotten over this hurdle of of retirement savings. Ever since the, you know, the the world changed from putting the burden on the company with pension plans or defined benefit plans to now putting the burden on the individual with defined compensation plans, we have yet to find a way to create 401k, you know, retirement savings that are that are excelling. And I'm wondering from your standpoint, what is that challenge and, and how can we overcome that? I believe that when I began in our practice doing financial wellness and education sessions, so a client may hire me and we may not do the 401k plan, but we'll come in, organize information sessions based on one's life stage. So if you're 20s, 30s, you may be grouped together. 30s, 50s, or, or around that age, because you're dealing with different financial goals and financial concerns. So when I come in and do financial education and wellness sessions, it's so revealing that it shows me there's a huge gap. Number one, folks are not comfortable sitting in front of their 401k uh, representative that may be a white male that may not relate to them, number one, talk to them in a way that they understand anything about their 401k. And it's not just women or people of color. There are white men I talk to that are also uncomfortable with the 401k reps that come in and talk. So I I do believe just our industry has begun to make a shift to make sure that we are communicating to be clear and not communicating to show our knowledge base. So we we know we're smart. We we understand a lot of the formulas and, and market movements, but that doesn't mean that the person we're talking to will understand that language. Yeah. Uh, so I find that when I'm able to talk to the participants of the 401k plan in their own space, talking about if you're in your 20s, maybe college debt or buying your first home versus in your 50s, caring for your aging parents. That's a completely different conversation. And our approach to 401k management has really allowed our practice to grow substantially because we look at how can we make sure we're serving your participants at their stage of need, not just as one blanket organization? That's so good. I mean, everybody just tells the same story. And that's why I just I think that's what's been the challenge with our industry of getting the young back, the youth engaged in, in our industry is that we just tell the same story. Hey, we're talking about retirement, but a young individual, a young family can't think about retirement right now. It's hard right. for them to think about, you know, something 30 years away when they're, they got, you know, two little kids running around just destroying their house. Like they, they don't care. That's what they're yeah. talking about in yeah, schools it's, it's and private tough, schools. Right. Yeah. And so they paint the same picture. They tell the same story. So I think that that's really, really great. You know, Kenita, I could probably sit here and talk with you. We've talked before. I could talk with you for hours. Uh, I, I think you're just, you've got so much knowledge and, um, and experience. So I'm, I'm super grateful that you took time to, to share that with our, our listeners here on, on Bridging the Gap. But before I go, I, I need to ask you two questions. I'd ask everybody. And then the first one is, is that the main, one of the main points of this podcast is to help people continue to learn. Uh, yeah. I am a, a learner. I love to learn. So it's selfish, but I also love to learn from books and read books that are other smart people are reading. So I'm always curious to ask, what's one book out there that you think everybody should read? Okay, so I so we're leaders, <laughs> and then we've established that. And I do think that there's a lot on us. There's a lot on you every day, a lot on me, not just work, family, everything. So one book that I really um, enjoy reading was called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And it's helped me in times when it's challenging to balance it all and brought me back to a really important space. So 
The book is written by Peter S C A Z Z E R O. <laughs> so I, I'm challenged with the pronunciation, but I really found so much value in that book, and it's a it's a one that I reread <laughs> because you have to have that perspective poured into you after it's been depleted because life happens. I I love that. You know, as you're talking, I just think about everything that goes on in my head and the the weight and everything of that nature on the shoulders. And um, it's true. And it's not it's not a sign of weakness to to learn and read about that stuff and admit it. I think it's a sign of strength to to invest in it. So I, I love that. That's an awesome recommendation. Now, the last question I have is I, I got this from Barron's conferences and I, I love it because it's all about action, right? Taking mm-hmm. action. And so what's one actionable takeaway that you think our listeners should take away from our conversation here today that we just had? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that we talked about a lot, number one, but I would say a common theme in our discussion has been that we all have unique journeys, right? We can all be successful in our own way, but the journey is unique. And if we challenge ourselves to be change agents, successful, legacy-oriented uh, advisors and professionals in the space, we have to be willing to think a little differently. And that comes in the space of recruiting. That comes in the space of the clients we serve and how we serve them. So I would say the action item would be to take a moment, reflect, and think about your firm and business in 20 years. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Who's there? I don't know one's age, so will you be there? And if not, uh, who is going to be there? And then you can almost draw a line and what changes or adjustments you need to make so that you can confirm that your vision or your business will be relevant and successful in 20 years and not exactly as it is today, because that won't work. (laughs) I love that. I think that that's so good. And, and And you really have to take yourself away into a space where you can get away and think about 20 years from now and visualize that. Um, And it's not only going to be good for you, it's Mm going to be good for your team, it's going to be good for your clients, and it's going to be good overall for everybody. I I, I love that. Kanita, I want to let you get back to your your child and help (laughs) there, uh, your firm. Um, And like I said, I'm super appreciative. You're extremely knowledgeable. I love what you're doing. I'm a huge advocate and fan of yours. Um, and I know that other people listening to this podcast are going to want to continue to follow you, maybe get in touch with you, maybe work with you, maybe work for you. I don't know. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Sure. So my firm's name is Master Plan Investment Group. And we're in Pennington, New Jersey, so serve clients all over the country. But we have our website, masterplaninvestmentgroup.com. We're on LinkedIn, of course, Facebook, Instagram, all of those fantastic platforms. And I'm looking forward to, to talking and engaging with other advisors because we can work together. We, I work with a lot of advisors and families and clients. And as we all are committed, we're moving together, forward together. Uh, before you go, I have to add one other book. And we talked about this already. Traction was a major game changer in my practice. And my coach, um, Richard Nelson, has been amazing. And investing in yourself is the best decision that you can always move forward on. And that investment in in working with Richard Nelson has been fantastic to implement traction in the practice. I second that. And I also second your point that working together as a community of advisors, there's plenty of business out there for all of us to be successful. There's plenty of families that we need to serve. There's plenty of families that don't know they need to be served by a human advisor that we can all go out 
and serve. But as a community together, sharing ideas, working together, mm-hmm. it's going to make all of us better. And mm-hmm. I am a huge advocate for that. That is my whole mission in what we do here uh, with the MR brand. And so I am a huge believer of that. Kenita, you're the best. Stay well, be well. And thank you again so much for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 